Okay? We talked about two main enzymes, acetyl-CoA carboxylase and fatty acid synthase. Okay? In fatty acid synthesis. Very importantly to remember about fatty acid synthase is that it's a multifunctional enzyme that exists as a dimer. And each domain has about up to seven catalytic activities. But very importantly, you have the acyl carrier protein and you also have the cysteine residue. Um, during the reactions, the student was asking, during the reactions, right, what happens at the acyl carrier protein domain and what happens at the cysteine residue? At the acyl carrier protein domain, that is where your reactions will take place. And then after the reactions have taken place, it's carried up to the cysteine residue. Good? All right? The molecule is carried up to the cysteine residue so that the next, the incoming malonite CoA, for example, will come to the acyl carrier protein domain. And then the reaction will take place there. The hydrolysis that you, you have, the uh, reduction reactions, they take place while the molecule is at the ACP domain. Good? Is that clear now? All right. Then another question was about the glycerol that was phosphorylated, right, in the, in the liver. Where did the glycerol come from? The glycerol comes from the hydrolysis of your triacylglycerol in your adipose tissues, right? Your triacylglycerol is hydrolyzed, releasing fatty acids and glycerol. We do not have glycerol kinase in the adipose tissues, so the glycerol is carried in the circulation, the blood circulation, into the liver where we have glycerol, glycerol kinase that can help us uh, form glycerol 3-phosphate. Good? Yeah, those were the two main questions related to the previous lecture. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about cholesterol metabolism. Cholesterol metabolism. Oftentimes, you hear that cholesterol is not good for you, cholesterol is not good. Is that the current school of thought? Is that the current, what is the current school of thought? Oh, it's too much of it that it's not good, right? So we need some amount of cholesterol for normal cellular function, okay? So there has to be a balance in the synthesis or in the metabolism of cholesterol. The synthesis is transport and it's use. There has to be a balance. We don't want too much of it, but we want to have enough of it. Cholesterol, for instance, okay? So we have here, in orange here, we are seeing the, uh, the, the cell membrane and we are seeing cholesterol shown in orange. It helps to maintain the fluidity of the cell, okay? When you are very cold, for example, so that the cells do not stiffen, okay? The cell membrane does not stiffen. Cholesterol helps to maintain the fluidity of the cell. All right. So cholesterol is one of the most common steroids you find in animal cells. It's highly hydrophobic, very hydrophobic. Okay? And then it contains about four, it contains four, not about, it contains four sterol rings. This is, they are numbered, or they are labeled A, B, C, and D. So these A, B, C, and D are the four, four sterol rings of cholesterol. And in the blood, we find cholesterol as esters in lipoproteins. Plants can synthesize a range of sterols, but not cholesterol. Plant sterols are not absorbed 
in our gastro, in human gastrointestinal tract. Okay? And they are used to block plant sterols, are used to block cholesterol ab absorption. So they are used in pharmaceutical applications to block cholesterol absorption. So this diagram is showing us cholesterol having the four sterol rings labeled A, B, C, and D. This is the hydroxyl group. This is the double bond right here. And this is the hydrocarbon tail. This is the hydrocarbon tail. So these four sterol rings form the steroid nucleus of cholesterol. And cholesterol, we can find them as esters bound in, as esters in lip, lipoproteins. For example, we have our fatty acid. We talked about synthesis of fatty acids. So the fatty acid that has been synthesized, as we discussed in the previous lecture, can be bound to cholesterol. So this OH makes it possible for molecules to bind right here. So we can have cholesterol esters as shown here. So there's an influx and efflux of cholesterol in the liver. That means the liver has a great role to play in balancing cholesterol concentration. The synthesis, the transport, the utilization of cholesterol is balanced in the liver. So the major sources of cholesterol in the liver is from the diet, from our meals, from what we eat, from animal sources, we get cholesterol. And then from extrahepatic tissues, that means apart from the liver, we can also synthesize cholesterol in some other tissues. We get cholesterol from extrahepatic tissues. And we also synthesize cholesterol in the liver. So these are the sources of the liver pool of cholesterol. This cholesterol that we have in the liver now can exist as free cholesterol that can be secreted in the bile. It can form part of the very low-density lipoproteins. And it can be converted to bile acids and bile salts. Okay? So the major routes by which cholesterol will leave the liver is being secreted as part of VLDL as free cholesterol, free cholesterol in bile, or it can be used to form bile salts and bile acids. So there has to be a balance. The functions of cholesterol is a precursor for the formation of vitamin D. Cholesterol helps to maintain the cell fluidity because it's a component of the cell membrane, as I showed in the first slide. Cholesterol is also used to synthesize bile acids in the liver. And cholesterol synthesis is needed in the brain because the cholesterol that we synthesize elsewhere cannot cross the blood-brain barrier. So we have to synthesize cholesterol in the brain to maintain the fluidity of the cells we have in the brain. Cholesterol are precursors for steroid hormones like cortisol, aldosterone, androgens in the adrenal cortex, or estrogen, progesterone in the ovaries, or testosterone in the testes. So this is a summary of the functions of cholesterol. Where do we synthesize cholesterol? Remember, in the first slide, one of the first slides, we said the sources of cholesterol in the liver. We can get cholesterol into the liver from extra cholesterol that is synthesized in extrahepatic sources as well as from our diet. 
as well as the synthesis in the liver itself. So the synthesis of cholesterol occurs primarily in the liver. However, cholesterol can be synthesized in the brain, in the intestine, in reproductive tissues, and in the adrenal cortex. Like fatty acid synthesis, cho cholesterol synthesis also requires cytosolic acetyl-CoA. So cytosolic degeneration, generation or production of cytosolic acetyl-CoA is common to both cholesterol synthesis and fatty acid synthesis. We also need NADPH and ATP to synthesize cholesterol. The rate-limiting enzyme for cholesterol synthesis is HMG-CoA reductase. HMG-CoA reductase. The synthesis of cholesterol also takes place in the cytosol as well as in the endoplasmic reticulum. Okay? In the cytosol and in the endoplasmic reticulum. So cholesterol levels are regulated very carefully. Okay? Because too much of cholesterol in circulation can lead to atherosclerosis. Okay? And too much cholesterol secretions can cause formation of gallstones. So too much cholesterol in circulation can lead to disease conditions, atherosclerosis, as well as gallstones. So to prevent this from happening, the cholesterol level is carefully regulated. The sources of NADPH for the synthesis of cholesterol the same as we talked about for the sources of NADPH for the synthesis of fatty acids. So pentose phosphate pathway is the major pathway for the synthesis of NADPH that we need to synthesize cholesterol. The malic enzyme that we talked about is also very important, very important enzyme to produce NADPH that we need as a reducing equivalent in the synthesis of cholesterol. The, the novel synthesis of cholesterol will start in the cytosol with acetyl-CoA acting as the carbon unit. And we can divide the steps into the st five steps as shown here. We have to first of all synthesize HMG-CoA. Then we synthesize a six-carbon molecule called mevalonate. And then we form a five-carbon uh, molecule called isopentanyl pyrophosphate. Then we condense the isoprenes, these five carbon molecules that we synthesize, isoprenes, we now condense them, five of them, to form squalene. So we keep bringing five, five um, isopentanyl pyrophosphates until we get squalene, which has 30 carbons. And then squalene, uh, squalene is not, uh, it, it doesn't have those uh, um, cyclicized forms, okay? It's not cyclized. So what you do is that you remove some carbons and then you make, have cyclicization or cyclization of squalene to form lanosterol, okay? So first of all, you have the cyclization of squalene to form lanosterol, okay? Which now has those rings, those sterol rings. Lanosterol has the, the sterol rings. But squalene doesn't have the sterol rings. So after forming the sterol rings, then you now go from there to form cholesterol that has just 27 carbons. 27 carbons. So this is a summary of the novel synthesis of cholesterol. So let's take this one by one. The synthesis of HMG-CoA. So we are taking it one by one. We are going to talk about the first step. 
synthesis of HMG-CoA. It involves three molecules of acetyl-CoA. We need NADPH, two molecules. And the, this is what happens. This is our two-acetyl-CoA. This enzyme, tyrolase, will help us to complex these two-acetyl-CoA molecules to form acetyl, acetoacetyl-CoA. Okay? And then the third acetyl-CoA molecule now comes in. And this enzyme, HMG-CoA synthase, will catalyze the linkage of the third acetyl-CoA onto acetoacetyl-CoA. CoA is cleaved off right here. And we end up with 3-hydroxy-3-methylglutaryl-CoA. The short name for this is HMG-CoA, which now has six carbons. Six carbons. HMG-CoA. So this is the first step. The synthesis of HMG-CoA using three molecules of acetyl-CoA using uh, three molecules of acetyl-CoA. We synthesize HMG-CoA. From HMG-CoA, we go to the next step, which is the synthesis of mevalonate. Mevalonate. So this is where we now need the NADPH because we have to have a reduction reaction. NADPH will be the reducing equivalent. So going from HMG-CoA that was synthesized from 3-acetyl-CoA, we now have the enzyme HMG-CoA reductase that will carry out the reduction reaction using NADPH as the reducing equivalent. We end up with mevalonate. Okay? Mevalonate. This is mevalonate. All right. So we need two NADPH molecules. The reaction that is catalyzed by this enzyme, HMG-CoA reductase, is the rate-limiting reaction or the rate-limiting step of the synthesis of cholesterol. That means this enzyme, HMG-CoA reductase, is the rate-limiting enzyme of cholesterol synthesis. The enzyme, HMG-CoA reductase, can be inhibited by glucagon as well as by statin drugs. So sometimes, individuals who have excess cholesterol, you treat them using statin drugs. You don't want them to produce too much cholesterol. So you, you inhibit this enzyme by giving them statin drugs. Glucagon signals uh, the fasting stage, right? Or it doesn't signal state of plenty. Insulin signals plenty. And remember, fatty acids and cholesterol are synthesized in the midst of plenty, in the well-fed state. So glucagon, which, is, which you have in the fasting state, will inhibit HMG-CoA reductase so that when you don't have plenty of glucose in circulation, you do not want to be synthesizing cholesterol. Insulin that you have in the midst of plenty will activate HMG-CoA reductase. Okay? So this is the primary regulatory step of cholesterol synthesis. The step catalyzed by HMG-CoA reductase. So let's look at the synthesis of cholesterol. So we are coming from mevalonate. So this is converted to 5-pyrophosphomevalonate, which is this right here. We need two ATP molecules, one ATP, another ATP. So 5-pyrophosphomevalonate. We are adding pyrophosphate, two phosphates to it, okay? To make the molecule more soluble, to make it more soluble. Otherwise, it's, it's not soluble. So you add the pyrophosphate, followed by decarboxylation, by this decarb an, an enzyme, decarboxylase, removes the uh, carboxyl group, okay? 
CO2 is removed, the carboxylation, to form isopentenyl pyrophosphate, IPP. Very important. IPP is very important. IPP now has five carbons. The five pyro pyrophosphomevalonate has six carbons. Remember, mevalonate has six carbons. This molecule that is phosphorylated to phosphates, pyrophosphates, is attached to it. It has six carbons. But we remove one of the carbons by this decarboxylation reaction to end up with a five-carbon molecule, isopentenyl pyrophosphate, IPP. Okay? Then I, an isomerase will convert your IPP to dimethyl allyl pyrophosphate. Dimethyl allyl pyrophosphate. So your IPP is very important. It contains five carbons. Okay? So coming from your dimethyl allyl pyrophosphate, IPP comes in again. I, I mentioned here that this IPP, isopentenyl pyrophosphate that has five carbons, is very important. Although it will be isomerized to form dimethyl pyrophosphate, we still need isopentenyl pyrophosphate again. So this has five carbons. The dimethyl pyrophosphate has five carbons. We need IPP again. And then it your, your transferase will cleave off pyrophosphate. Okay? From IPP, pyrophosphate is cleaved off. So we, we are now complexing two molecules that each have five carbons. Your dimethyl allyl pyrophosphate has five carbons. Your isopentenyl pyrophosphate has, is coming in, it has five carbons. So these two five carbons plus five carbons will now form geranyl, uh, geranyl pyrophosphate, which has 10 carbons. Of course, one of the phosphates is cleaved here. So we now have a 10 carbon molecule. Your, your geranyl pyrophosphate is also very important. We are looking at all the steps in, in cholesterol synthesis. Because these intermediates, like your geranyl pyrophosphate, your phenacyl, uh, phenacyl pyrophosphate, right? They are important, important biomolecules. We need them in the cell. They are intermediates of the synthesis of cholesterol's uh, metabolism, but we also need these intermediates for in the cell. Okay? So we now have this 10-carbon molecule, geranyl pyrophosphate. We said IPP isopentenyl pyrophosphate that has five carbons is very important. So you see what is happening. We are just bringing five, this five-carbon compound, IPP, isopentenyl pyrophosphate. Right from here, we are just bringing it in, okay, and removing the phosphate and attaching it to the previous molecule. So we attach, attach the five-carbon molecule to geranyl pyrophosphate to form phenacyl pyrophosphate, okay, which is FPP. Phenacyl pyrophosphate has 15 carbons. You remember we talked about phenacylation, right? During post-translational modification of protein, phenacylation. So how do you get the phenacyl? You can get it from, from here, the, the phenacyl. Good? Remove the pyrophosphate, and that gives you phenacyl. But adding the, having the pyrophosphate there makes it soluble, makes it more soluble. So we get our phenacyl uh, pyrophosphate right here, 15 carbons. And then we bring in another phenacyl pyrophosphate that has been synthesized in the same way. So two phenacyl pyrophosphate molecules, each having 15 carbons, are now complexed. One pyrophosphate is cleaved off right here. They are now complexed. And then we have a reduction reaction and the cleavage of the second pyrophosphate to form a 30-carbon molecule, which is called squalene. Squalene is very um, hydro, hydrophobic. It doesn't have the the pyrophosphate. 
So squalene, we now form this 30 carbon uh, molecule called squalene. Okay? Pyrophosphate is released twice. NADH, NADPH is used as the reducing equivalent. So very importantly, we have our isopentanyl pyrophosphate generyl. That was a break to take a breath. All right, so let's go on. So we have our squalene, which has 30 carbons. It's produced right here. What happened? Uh, where are we? All right. Okay. So we have synthesized squalene right here. So going from squalene, the squalene... It's, it doesn't have the closed rings that we need in cholesterol. So it has to be cyclized with NADPH and oxygen comes in to form lanosterol. Lanosterol that has the closed rings that we want to see in cholesterol. Okay? And remember, there's no pyrophosphate. Here on squalene, it doesn't have pyrophosphate. It doesn't have pyrophosphate. So... Uh, lanosterol doesn't have pyrophosphate. So eventually cholesterol that will be synthesized will not have pyrophosphates. It will be very hydrophobic. Okay? It will be very hydrophobic and they will, the cholesterol will require a carrier protein to keep them soluble. So all these molecules, squalene, lanosterol, that do not have um, pyrophosphate, they are very hydrophobic. So going from lanosterol, we have synthesized lanosterol right here, several steps. This tells you there are several steps. Squalene monooxygenase will end up getting. Lanosterol also has 30 carbons, but it's the first sterol because it has the sterol rings. It has 30 carbons. We want to go from 30 carbon molecules, lanosterol, to cholesterol that has 27 carbons. Several steps are involved. We are not listing all these steps. But several steps are involved, going from 30 carbon to cholesterol. So that means we use NADPH as a reducing equivalent. We remove three carbons from lanosterol. There are several steps, and we end up with cholesterol that has 27 carbons. 27 carbons. It has OH right here. And if you look at lanosterol, Look at the position of the double bond on lanosterol. To form cholesterol, the double bond has to be switched from here to here. Good? We'll talk about that a little bit more. All right. And then you remove some carbons from here. You see you have more carbons here. So you remove some of the carbons here. And you end up with the 27 carbon molecule, cholesterol. 
Right. So these reactions, going from lanosterol to cholesterol, they actually take place in the endoplasmic reticulum. Going from lanosterol to cholesterol, this series of reactions take place in the endoplasmic reticulum. I mentioned, as we were talking about the steps in the synthesis of cholesterol, we, we elaborated on those steps because those intermediates are important. For example, geranyl groups are used to anchor proteins to the cell membrane. Okay, your geranyl groups. And then your phenacyl groups are needed for specific proteins for phenacylation, for example. And phenacyl pyrophosphate will branches out for the synthesis of your CoQ, CoQ that we use in our electron transport chain, and for dolicol pyrophosphate that we need for end glycosylation of proteins. Good? So some of these intermediates of cholesterol synthesis are needed for um, post-translational uh, post modification of proteins to anchor proteins into the membrane to synthesize CoQ that we need for electron transport chains. So apart from the fact that we are synthesizing cholesterol during cholesterol synthesis, we are also synthesizing these intermediates that are very important, that you have to remember as well. All right. Cholesterol metabolism. Sometimes we may have a, defic a, a, a deficiency of an enzyme called 7-dehydrocholesterol reductase. Remember we talked about going from lanosterol to cholesterol. Lanosterol has 30 carbons. Cholesterol has 27 carbons. Remember the location of the double bond on lanosterol is right here. Okay? You want to move this double bond from lanosterol to this position to make your molecule cholesterol and also remove three carbons. We need this enzyme. 7-dehydrocholesterol reductase. We need the enzyme for the final step of producing cholesterol. For that double bond to move it from the position where you find it on lanosterol. Okay? We need this enzyme. 7-dehydrocholesterol reductase. If we do not have this enzyme, okay? If we do not have this enzyme, then we have a buildup of 7-dehydrocholesterol, which is one of the intermediates that has to be finally converted to cholesterol. We have a buildup of 7-dehydrocholesterol. That means going from lanosterol to cholesterol. Remember I mentioned that there are several steps. One of the intermediates between lanosterol and cholesterol is 7-dehydrocholesterol. We want to be able to convert 7-dehydrocholesterol to cholesterol. And we need the enzyme, 7-dehydrocholesterol reductase. If there's a mutation in the gene, then we are not able to produce cholesterol. Or if there's a loss of function mutation in that gene, 7-dehydrocholesterol reductase, then there will be decreased production of 7-dehydrocholesterol reductase of the enzyme. And then we are not, if we don't have the enzyme, then we are not able to produce enough cholesterol. And individuals that have this deficiency, they have a syndrome called Smith-Lemley-Optis syndrome, SLOS, Smith-Lemley-Optis syndrome. That is SLOS of or 7-dehydrocholesterol reductase deficiency. 
the mutation. To have the disorder is an autosomal recessive disorder. That means the individual has to have two copies of the mutation, one from mommy and one from daddy. These children shown in this picture have the mutation. Good? At first, their parents were wondering why their development was not, you know, developmental milestones, right? When you start, when you start practicing in your clinics, you have those developmental milestones. At this time, the child is supposed to be doing this. At this time, the child is supposed to be doing that. The child is supposed to be talking. The child is supposed to be crawling. This is this, the height and the weight of children of this age, the IQ. So that their parents were wondering what was happening while they were not meeting those developmental milestones. So their parents went from physician to physician until they saw a geneticist that was able to diagnose that the children have this deficiency, SLOS, 7-dehydrocholesterol reductase deficiency. It's an autosomal recessive disorder. There's high infant mortality rates. The individuals that have this disorder, they have heart defects. Remember, they have reduced synthesis of cholesterol, malformations of the limbs, growth retardation, microcephaly, and mental disabilities. And in males, they often have ambiguous genitalia. If this is diagnosed on time, very early, it is possible, after the birth of the child, if it's diagnosed early, it is possible to administer cholesterol because they are not synthesizing enough cholesterol. If you administer cholesterol, this will help with, with growth and will help to reduce some of the symptoms that we have talked about here. However, the central nervous uh, system defects, due like my, my macrocephaly, may not be corrected because it has already happened in utero, right? when the fetus was still in the uterus. So, cholesterol administration is helpful if you detect on time and you start to administer cholesterol, the growth and some developmental milestones may be achieved. All right, question. So a deficiency of 7-dehydrocholesterol reductase 
leads to decreased synthesis of cholesterol. So this statement is not correct. What is the reducing equivalent in the, synth in the de novo synthesis of cholesterol? It's NADPH, not NADP. So that makes this statement incorrect. Lanosterol has 30 carbons. And it's, it has, it's the first sterol. It has the sterol rings. So this statement is not correct. <coughs> cholesterol molecule formed is a straight chain hydrophilic molecule. No. Cholesterol already has the sterol rings. It has the sterol rings. So it's not straight chain. It has the rings, those four rings. It's not hydrophilic. Remember, pyrophosphate has been cleaved off right from when you get your 30 carbon molecule squalene. So there's no pyrophosphate, so it's insoluble. It's highly hydrophobic. Okay? And the last option, HMG-CoA, is converted to mevalonate in the rate-limiting step. That is the correct answer. Right. So cholesterol. Can we degrade cholesterol to get carbon, carbon and oxygen or carbon dioxide and oxygen? We cannot. We cannot metabolize cholesterol to get carbon dioxide and water, for example. We cannot do that. So, however, we can metabolize cholesterol by converting it to bile acids, okay, which can be secreted in bile and released in feces. Or we have intestinal organisms that can convert cholesterol to coprostanol and cholesterol, which we find in feces, which are excreted in feces. So that is how we, um, we get rid of some cholesterol that we may not want. Excess cholesterol, for example, can be used to form bile acids, or we have intestinal enzymes that can help us to reduce them to form coprostanol and cholesterol. In adults, we produce about 400 to 800 milliliters of bile daily. So this is very important for the metabolism of cholesterol, the synthesis or the production of bile acids. So because it's important for the degradation of cholesterol, the synthesis of bile acids, we are going to talk about the composition of bile. It's a watery mixture containing organic and inorganic compounds. Phosphatidylcholine, also called lecithin, and bile salts are the most important organic compounds we find in bile. So bile has organic and inorganic components. Bile may also contain cholesterol, apart from the fact that we can use the, the cholesterol to find, form bile salts. Bile can also contain some cholesterol, as well as bilirubin. Then inorganic salts and some metals may be found in bile. The bile will enter the duodenum through the common bile duct, and bile can be stored in the gallbladder. So bile is a mixture of organic and inorganic molecules. The organic molecules being phosphatidylcholine and bile salts. So let's look at how we synthesize bile acids. Okay? We have cholic acid and kinodeoxycholic acid. We can synthesize these bile acids from cholesterol. Remember, we are talking about the degradation of cholesterol. What do we do with this cholesterol? Okay? 
We use some of the cholesterol, but some of the cholesterol that we don't need, what do we do with them? We can form bile acids. So cholesterol can be used to form cholic acid or kinodeoxycholic acid. We need an enzyme. The first step of the reaction is catalyzed by the enzyme called 7-alpha hydroxylase, which is a part of the uh, cytochrome P450 monooxygenase system. This 7-alpha hydroxylase is a part of the cytochrome P450 monooxygenase system. So we need NADPH as the reducing equivalent. Cholesterol is conv first converted to 7-alpha hydroxycholesterol. So this is what is happening here. The enzyme is hy hydroxylase. It adds this OH here to position 7 to form 7-alpha hydroxycholesterol. So we now have two hydroxyl groups. And then by several reactions, we now eventually have our cholic acid, which is a triol. It has three OH. And kinodeoxycholic acid, which is a diol. It has two OH. When we have plenty of bile salts, plenty of bile salts, or bile acids, sorry, plenty of bile acids, these bile acids, when we have plenty of them, they will inhibit the activity of this enzyme. Okay? And this is activated by high cytosolic cholesterol. When we have plenty of cholesterol, the enzyme 7-alpha-hydroxylase is activated. However, when we have accumulation of this end product, okay, then they, especially cholic acid, they, it will inhibit 7-alpha-hydroxylase. So these cholic acid and kinodeoxycholic acid, they are primary bile acids, primary bile acids. These primary bile acids can be conjugated with glycine or taurine to form bile salts, okay? Bile salts. So this is your cholic acid conjugated with glycine to form glycocholic acid, a conjugated bile salt, or kinodeoxycholic acid can be conjugated with taurine to form a conjugated bile salt as well. This will change the pKa of the bile acid, and this conjugation will take place in hepatocytes, in the liver cells only. And they are usually present as the sodium or potassium salts. These bile salts are present as sodium or potassium salts. Okay? These bile salts are more effective at solubilizing lipids than bile acids. So the addition of either glycine or taurine to the bile acid to make it a bile salt makes it more effective in solubilizing lipids than the bile acid itself. The cholic acid without the glycine is less effective in solubilizing lipids. So when you conjugate it to make it a bisalt, it's more effective in solubilizing lipids. We have intestinal organisms, okay, that can remove the taurine. You have formed your conjugated bisalts. You have added taurine or glycine. We have intestinal bacteria that can remove the taurine or glycine. To, um, they can also... We also have some bacteria that can help us to convert primary bile salts into secondary bile salts by removing the hydroxyl groups. Remember, they have the cholic acid has three hydroxyl groups and kinodeocholic acid has two hydroxyl groups. So we have intestinal bacteria that can remove some hydroxyl groups to form secondary bile salts. Deoxycholic acid and lithocholic acid from cholic acid and kinodeoxycholic acid. So you remove... Uh, the, the hydroxyl group from cholic acid, you, you get deoxycholic acid. You remove hy the hydroxyl group from kinodeoxycholic acid and you get lithocholic acid. So we have what we call enterohepatic circulation of bile salts. 
This is talking about the continuous secretion of bile, bile salts, into bile and stored in the gallbladder, passage into the duodenum, and the bile salts will be taken up in the ileum and returned to the liver via the portal circulation. So this enterohepatic, enterohepatic circulation, we are talking about the circulation of the bile salts. They are, first of all, synthesized right here in the liver, and then they are, they are transported via the bile duct into the duodenum, taken up in the ileum, and then they are returned via the portal circulation into the, the uh, liver. Okay? So there's a circulation. About 95% of these bile acids, they are circulated, they are reabsorbed. Only about 5% are excreted in, a, in the feces. Only about 5%. Okay? The primary bile acids, they are metabolized by the intestinal bacteri uh, bacteria. Remember, we talked about some bacteria that can metabolize the uh, primary bile acids, cholic acid and kinocholic uh, acids. So we have bacteria that can deconjugate or dehydroxylate them right here in the intestine, okay, to form secondary bile acids, which can be also be reabsorbed. It can be reabsorbed and become a component of bile. So the enterohepatic circulation is talking about this bile salts that are produced here, carried via the bile duct into the duodenum, Some are, and they are taken up by the ileum and returned into the, via the portal circulation to the liver. And of course, about 5% uh, is excreted. 5% of the bile salts are excreted. Okay? Only 95% are circulated, go back into the liver. So we have what we call cholelithiasis, cholelithiasis, cholesterol gallstone disease. This, we have pre precipitation of cholesterol in the bile when we have high level of cholesterol, okay? Increased secretion of cholesterol into bile. Usually, we say, I told you that cholesterol is a component of bile. We find some cholesterol in bile as well. But when we have increased secretion of this cholesterol into bile, then we have what we call the cholelithiasis, the formation of the, the gallstones. Or when we have decreased production of bile due to hepatic dysfunction, okay, like liver dysfunction, bile salts and bile they are produced in the liver. When there's a dysfunction in the liver, we are not producing enough bile, then we may have this uh, precipitation of cholesterol in the gallbladder. This may also be due to a deficiency of lecithin or the bile salts. Or we have malabsorption of the bile acids. Remember about 95% of the bile acids are reabsorbed during the enterohepatic circulation. 95% is carried via the portal circulation into the liver and only 5% is excreted. If we excrete too much, we, we are not absorbing enough then of the bile acids, then this can result in precipitation of cholesterol or if there's biliary obstruction or interruption of the enterohepatic circulation, okay? Or we have excessive suppression of bile synthesis. The synthesis of bile, bile acids, bile salts is suppressed. Then we will have precipitation of cholesterol and formation of this cholesterol gallstone disease. So this is cholesterol that is precipitated, and these are the potential. Uh, uh, poss possible causes of this precipitation of cholesterol in the bile. Good? 
cholelithiasis. So cholesterol gallstone is further illustrated here. Cholesterol gallstones. So you have cholesterol carriers and cholesterol crystals. You'll find cholesterol uh, crystals in the gallstones. Okay? Due to a number of factors as listed here. Decreased bioproduction, increased secretion of cholesterol, malabsorption of biosalts, and so on and so forth. You have end up with cholesterol gallstones. The treatment for cholelithiasis is surgical removal of the gallbladder by laparoscopy or cholecystectomy. So surgical removal of the gallbladder is the treatment. However, some individuals may not be able, for one reason or the other, to undergo the surgical uh, treatment, the surgery. So you can administer the bile acids like quinodioxycholic acid. Okay? Another treatment is disintegration of the, the cholesterol stones, those gallstones, right? Remember, it's cholesterol that is precipitated in cholelithiasis. So if you see this word in an exam, you know you are talking about the precipitation of cholesterol. Disintegration of those stones, cholesterol gallstones, using shock waves or contact dissolution using methyl tetrabutyl ether. So these are treatments that have been employed in treating cholelithiasis. The significance of bile acids, they perform four physiological roles. They are significant in uh, these bile acids, right? They are the mechanism for the elimination of excess cholesterol, the bile acids, right? As bile salts. Remember, you, they are transported into the duodenum and some, we have about 5% excreted in the, in, the, uh, in the feces. So that is a means of eliminating excess cholesterol. Bile acids and phospholipids also solubilize cholesterol in the bile. They help to solubilize cholesterol, preventing the precipitation of cholesterol. That is why if there's any defect in the synthesis of bile acids, we may end up having cholelithiasis, precipitation of cholesterol. The bile acids also facilitate digestion of dietary triglycerides by acting as emulsifying agents. As emulsifying agents. Remember, we said by the time you have the bile salts, they are more, they act, they are even better emulsifying agents when you add the glycine or the taurine. Bile acids also facilitate the intestinal absorption of fat-soluble vitamins. Question.
First of all, cholelithiasis is the precipitation of cholesterol. So you have to have plenty cholesterol. Okay? So that eliminates these two options. Decreased secretion of cholesterol into bile. You have to have plenty of cholesterol to have cholelithiasis. So it's as a result of accumulation of cholesterol gallstones in the gallbladder. It's not due to increased bile acids in the bile. Okay? If you have decreased bile acids in the bile, then you may have accumulation of the cholesterol gallstones. That's the end. Thank you. I'll see you again tomorrow morning.